Romans chapter 8, and I just want to share today about the love of Christ and 10 things that it does to us when we receive the love of Christ and when we make ourselves available to receive it, then we see God do things in our heart through the power of the love of God. And just remember that the word of God and the power of God in our lives is not dependent on how you and I can believe in it. Sometimes people will have this concept that God will work in my life if I can work up the faith to believe it. You know, God will work in my life if I can get my life together morally. God will work in my life to get if, if I can um, qualify for it. But God cannot do anything for anyone that qualifies for anything. So if you and I are trying to qualify, then we're already disqualified. You get it? Amen. Let me say it this way. Um, Christ came for who? The sick. The sick, for sinners, and not for what? The well. The well and the righteous. So if you're a sinner today, then you and I are prime candidates to live in the grace of God. And so as soon as we get our eyes off of ourselves and get delivered to God consciousness, to, God, to the... the the real Christ consciousness, not the self-awareness, but the real consciousness of who Jesus Christ is, then we can begin to grow in God's plan for our life. But I think so often we start feeling bad about ourselves or bad about our performance. We say, well, I'm a Bible college student. I should know better. Well, we do know better, but Romans chapter 7, woe is me. And, you know, the grace of God is looking for that woe is me Situation, Because when it happens, when it's woe is me, then we are prime candidates for the, the grace of God. Do you know how water will always seek the lowest point? Uh-huh. You know, we know that by experience here, don't we, Don? I mean, the lowest oh, point. It floods. <laughs> and we haven't had any in the last few years, thank the Lord, huh? Praise God. And... But water always seeks the lowest point, doesn't it? It'll just seek it out. It just will just, it'll go into the little crevices of the dirt. It'll just seek it out because it's gravity. And that's the same thing in, in our lives as a believer, that the grace of God, the love of God, will sink and seek out the lowest part in a believer's soul, in a Christian's soul, in a person's soul. It'll look for it so that it can fill it. And it won't stop looking and seeking until that crevice or that vacuum is full. Is that beautiful about the love of God, the <coughs> grace of God, that Amen. it seeks out those empty places deep inside of our soul, those dark places, so that it can fill it. And so if we could look together at Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and 36, and if you don't have it, it's on the screen. Who shall ever separate us? And I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible who shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering and, and affliction and tribulation or calamity and distress or persecution or hunger or destitution or peril or sword? You know, sometimes when we are experiencing traumatic, difficult times, it's easy to feel that God is angry at us or God is, at, God is far from us. Amen. But that is not the case. I love how it's asked here, in verse 35, who shall separate us? It's not what shall separate us. Because it's never about what. It's always about who that, 
that we get tangled up with. Either the devil or another person projects at us something, or we ourselves project to ourselves with our, the, we're very acquainted with our history and we are always analyzing ourselves and we're always disqualifying ourselves for the love of, from the love of Christ. Now, it's interesting that it says Christ's love and not God's love. Do you know what, you know what the difference is? And I've been thinking about this the last few days. Who did Christ love first? The Father, right? Yeah. That was the priority of Christ. So what was the Father's plan? <clears throat> God so loved the world that he what? <clears throat> Gave his only begotten Son for what? What purpose? <clears throat> that whosoever should believe. Uh, I don't know how fresh that water is. Do we have fresh water? Um, that would, have ever, would not perish but have everlasting life. Christ was sent for the purpose of God, the work of God, right? So Christ's love was for the finished work, for the Father to complete the finished work. And then secondly, in John 15, Jesus loved his disciples. And so what is Christ's love? First of all, Christ's love is for the finished work in your life. <clears throat> that's the passion of Jesus Christ. And that's what he desires to do. In verse 38 and 39, I am persuaded and beyond doubt and am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things impending and threatening, nor things to come, thank you, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. <clears throat> Here we see in verse 39, a discussion about the love of God. The love of God here is referring to spiritual warfare. The love of Christ in verse 35 is referring to details of life, events in life. Christ, and there's a lot we could say about that, but we don't have time. And I just want to say that many times, we as Christians, when we get our eyes off the love of God, our prayer life and our walk with God and our, our Christianity becomes action-based or behavioral-based. Mm. And when we come to God in prayer, we are really, in some ways, sometimes very aware of our, our sin and our frailty. And remember this, that when you confess sin to God, it's done. It's already done. There's legitimate guilt, then there's illegitimate guilt. Guilt that tarries when something's already been paid for at the cross and something that's already been confessed to God. Don't live in guilt. It's not God's will. Don't live in fear, it's not God's will. Don't live in any kind of anxiety because it's not God's will. God does amazing things in our lives and the love of God does amazing things, 10 amazing things. Before I get to that, I just want to share something with you, with the body, and just understanding that there's nothing that can separate this church from the love of God. Nothing could ever happen. Any of you that are in this room today, there's nothing that could ever separate you from the love of God. Amen. And when we are secure in the love of God, that is when we can start staking, taking steps in the direction of our calling with God. God is, God is doing great things. God is doing wonderful things. And we are so excited because we know God. Right? It's like that song we sang this morning. He's a good, good father. Amen. And we have to always allow, because we as fallen creatures are very forgetful. We forget, we just, every day, we forget that God is, God is good, that, 
that God loves us. And what did we say last week? Everything that happens to our, in our life that's tragic or difficult has what? Remember what we said last week? Did we forget already? We're forgetful people, aren't we? Has a purpose. Well, what's the purpose? What's God's purpose? To bring us closer to him, but there's, I'm, I'm thinking of something specific. Yeah, right, Candy? It has a plan for us. We're all, we're all just hitting right around the target, but just, we said last week that everything that happens in our life has, uh, is orchestrated by God to promote us in his kingdom, right? And then it's going to, and number two, what was it? What was the second thing we said? That there's a blessing involved, right? That God has a blessing involved. And so we are, we're just excited about this summer and, and what God's going to do in the fall here in this church. And uh, I just want to share something before I continue that, and some of you already know this. Um, I'm sure I've shared this with some of you already privately. But I just wanted to share with you um, as, a, as a church body that you know, my calling, my wife and I, our calling is church planting. We plant churches. And it's not easy. It's fun. It's crazy. It's, it's always a new story, you know. We came here five, almost five years ago, about five years ago when I came to this church here to start ministering. We were just, we were having some fun times here, weren't we? The McLean family can testify to that. and <laughs> Pastor Kyle and just, you know, the, a lot of folks here can, te- Carl definitely yeah. can testify. We've had... We have some great stories, you know. The great thing about walking by faith with other people with a mission to evangelize is that you're always going to have a great story to tell. So, and I won't get into them, but some of them are just really awesome stories. Uh, and you've, you guys have seen, you've seen me in all spheres, right? I mean, you've seen, you've seen what? <laughs> and you still love me. That's awesome. <laughs> but in in our in our in our calling god i feel that god has called us to be church planters and my my passion in my life as a pastor is to is to raise up young men to see god raise up young men and get them plugged into their calling because the kingdom of god is not in a pastor doing something and just sitting on it for 25 years and then going home to be with the lord some pastors do that but i feel that that's not what i do um, our calling is really to uh, go out as Jesus and as Paul did to plant churches, raise up leaders, and do it again. And so God has put on my wife and I's heart to uh, and op- opened up an amazing opportunity in Houston, Texas. As some of you know, that we've traveled there quite a bit. Maybe some of your uh, some of you are scratching your head, like, why is he going there so much? And so I just want to share with you that God has opened up a, an opportunity there. We have, a, there is a Bible study that started there, and it's already, we're not, you know, no one's living there, and it's already at 55 people. And so there's just a very fertile area. So Pastor Kyle and I, Pastor Schaller and Pastor Shabelli, we sat down and we discussed this whole opportunity. We discussed this church. And I just shared with them, and I'm sharing with you that we just feel God is calling us on to that new adventure in Texas. And we are, we are just so happy what God has done in this church. I feel like that, you know when you build a building, you start with the foundation? First you've got to dig a hole. You've got to get really dirty. You've got to get really dirty. And, and once you build that hole, you've got to build that foundation. You've got to build the, you've got to put the blocks in there. And there's a lot of work that's unseen. 
you don't see what's going on. And then suddenly when the foundation's there, then suddenly you just have this building that just quickly seems to quickly erect and, and, and just be built. And I feel like that that's what we've done here. We took this little church that was needed a lot of TLC in the beginning, right, Sarah? And we've just seen some just God do some wonderful things here. And, um, and it was just financially struggling and just, you know, it was just at a point where it just really needed... And, and, and God, God sent a team here, my wife and I, Pastor Tony and Marie, uh, and then Kyle, his wife, and then others. Mm-hmm. Carl's been here. It's been so amazing. And so we've really seen God put this church back on its feet. And I really feel like that we're at a place where we are just set to grow. And we are just in a great, we have a great foundation to tackle this summer and this fall. So I'm just sharing with you folks that that God has just put it in our hearts to take that next step uh, to go to Houston, Texas, to do a church plant there, and to to be here in contact with this church. And so when I shared that, when we shared that with the leadership in Baltimore, we of course began a discussion on who would take over here. And so we're in that process now of discussing that with the leadership in Baltimore. Generally, Greater Grace churches. Are they are well? All of Greater Grace churches are autonomous. They are self-ruling, self-governing. We are not a denom- we are not a denomination. And so we have asked Pastor Schaller, Pastor Belly, and the leadership in Baltimore to be involved because Pastor Kyle and I are both ordained in Baltimore. So that's why we are discussing this. And so uh, just to let you know, I, I put in a recommendation um, for Pastor Kyle to be the pastor here because I've spoken with many of you, and many of you just know him and love him and his wife, and you've seen his ministry and his life here, and just um, be honest, there hasn't really been anyone else that's making that move to come up here and to live here. And so we are, you know, we're discussing that, and we're going to see soon really what the final conclusion is, but nothing's going to happen. No one's going anywhere until this this is set. So I just want to share that with you. And our timetable kind of looks like right after convention, uh, after the June convention, the last week of, or the second to the last week of, of June. So I know that maybe for you, some of you, this is new, new information. But it's exciting. And every time I've done this, every time uh, my wife and I have moved on, uh, it's somehow, I don't know why, but the church grows. <laughs> I don't know what it is. When my brother took over from me in, in, in Lviv, uh, within a couple of weeks, somebody calls us and said they, get, they wanted to buy a building for us. And I thought, why couldn't that have happened when I was there? You know? <laughs> we were meeting in the park sometimes. We were renting these grungy school rooms, you know, and we were, you know, it was just so interesting. And then my brother came, and, and the same thing happened in Poland. And the same thing is going to happen here, that, that, that because your pastor was obedient to the call of God, He's going to bless the church. You don't want to have a pastor that's not obedient to the call of God and doesn't answer the call. Because if I stay and I'm called to go somewhere else, then there's not, that, there's not going to be that blessing here. Do you know what I'm saying? So you want me to obey God. I know that. You don't want me to be disobedient. But I think also, you know, with God raising up a new pastor here, uh, we're going to have, um, there's going to be just something very fresh. And just like... Um, Paul said to the Corinthian church, uh, I have planted, Paul said, I have planted, 
Apollos has watered, but it's the Lord that brings the increase. There are some people that are called to plant, some people that are called to water, right? And if you've done any gardening, you know what I'm talking about. And then there, then we see God bring the increase. And God is going to bring an increase here. This, we are going to grow. We, we were just driving around last night with the team from Baltimore. And I just so appreciate those folks that come up from Baltimore. I know it's not cheap with gas and tolls. They come up here and they help us with our Saturday outreach. And then they, they spend the night, they all crowd into the Benoit's home. And, you know, and then they come to church here on Sunday morning as such a great support. But we were just driving around and just praying about some areas and where God wants us to knock on doors and hit this, because we've hit this area so much. And I just want you to pray for us. Keep us in your prayers. And um, I will be here you know, until we have those things uh, nailed down. So, amen. Will you do that? Pray for me. Amen. I pray for my wife. And so I want to continue with this thought. Like, you know, when you communicate that, when, you, when we communicate something like that, I think maybe the natural idea would be to feel abandoned, separated. I just want to say nothing can separate this church from the love of Christ. I am not God. I'm not Jesus Christ. And so um, me obeying God's call to go to another location does not mean anything but blessing for this church. And what you're going to see here in this church is the continuation and the growth in a brand new way of what's already been founded. Amen? Amen. And so nothing can separate us from the love of no, no information, no news, nothing. Paul here in verse 38 and 39 was persuaded. He was persuaded. And I think that's what faith does. When we trust God in a very deep way, that love that filters in and seeks out that lowest position finds those cracks and those crevices and those dark holes in the unconscious and the subconscious mind and fills them with the love of God. And when that happens, persuasion happens. So when you and I are filled with the love of God, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, what happens? Persuasion. I'm persuaded. How many of you today can look at your life a year ago and say, I'm so much more persuaded about certain things than I was a year ago? Right? I think we all can nod our head, right? Persuasion. That's faith. The word persuasion comes from that word faith. And Paul said, I'm persuaded beyond doubt, and I am sure that neither death nor life. And then he lists those things. Because the love of God had seeped into and found the lowest place in Paul's soul. And Paul had some low places in his soul. He, he was a murderer. You ever talk to someone who's killed somebody? It's very interesting. Murderers. That's probably, I would say, in our criminal system, probably the worst the worst offense out there. I don't know. But it's definitely a bad offense. What, is the, what are ten things that God's love does to us? I just want to start with number one. Because God is love in 1 John 4, 8, verse 16, love creates in us a capacity for God. You know, when we get saved, we have no capacity for God. You know, we just know in our conscience this is the right thing to do. But I have no capacity for God. I have no understanding of who God is. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, you and I are not born naturally with a capacity for God. Capacity grows when we begin to understand the love of God. You know, that's the power of authority. You know, authority that comes with investment is true authority. When we invest in people's lives, and we have authority in their lives, Right? 
When we, when we love people and lay down our lives for people, then there is an authority in their life. It's the same thing with God. When we begin to understand the love of God, guess what happens? Trust is born, isn't there? Trust. If you're struggling with trust in your relationships, try unconditional love. Try the unconditional love of God. Just try that. When we love people as we've been loved, then that creates a capacity in people for God. If there's someone that you're ministering to that has no capacity for God, when we exercise the love of God, capacity begins to start. And you know what love means? It just means consistency. It means a lot of things, but it just means consistency. Showing up, making the phone call, sending the text messages, letting people know I'm here for you, I'm praying for you, um, that we have not forsaken you. You're not on a, and some, sometimes some of us just forget. We just forget about people. That's why the Holy Spirit brings people back to our mind. I have a rule in my life. If I'm thinking about somebody for more than five seconds, then that means that God wants me to either contact them or pray for them. Not just send them a text or just call them up or, or contact them. Number two, charity never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. I might fail love, but love will never fail me. Amen. The love of God, we may fail the love of God, and maybe we do that very often. But you know something? The great confidence that we have is, is that God's love never fails us. And whenever you feel like you're failing in God's plan or you're failing or you're not meeting up to the, to the, um, uh, to the, un, the, the undefined expectations of a culture, and we all live in those, don't we? We are all in the work culture, the family culture, the many different kinds of cultures that we live in. And there are these undefined, unexpressed expectations that we feel on us, right? Things that nobody's ever told us, but we can feel that that's expected from us. And whenever we feel that failure to those expectations, understand this, God's love is not failing towards you. As a matter of fact, it's seeking to enter into our soul through a revelation of Calvary's love on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's number two, charity never fails. Number three, love's capacity for eternal. God's, love's capacity is eternal and its expression in its expression and will never leave or forsake me. Hebrews 13 verse five. I want you to write these down. You know, borrow a pen, just write these down. Remember these, write these in your Bible. If you can, write them in your Bible. Write them in the first page of your Bible. Uh, these, are, these are things that I got from a, a, a devotional from Pastor Stevens. Love's capacity is eternal. Love's capacity, it just never runs. Love, what's love's capacity? It's called patience, isn't it? God's patience. And the patience of God is one of the greatest mysteries of the universe. Love's capacity is eternal, and it's expression, in its expression, and it will never leave or forsake you. Is that beautiful? Hebrews 13, verse, verse 5. When you ever, whenever you and I feel forsaken, remember God does not forsake us. Paul, in a jail cell, all of his ministry buddies kind of like not, not in contact with him anymore because he's in jail. It's a little embarrassing. Where's your spiritual father? Uh, he's in jail. I don't want to, you know, we don't really want to tell people that. You know, who's your mentor? Well, he's chained up in a Roman prison right now. I'm a little bit embarrassed to talk about that. 
And Paul is sitting in jail and he's understanding, he's seeing the visitors are not coming. And he said that everyone's really forsaken me, but the Lord has not forsaken me. And when you feel forsaken, just remember in Hebrews 13, verse 5, the triple negative, I will never, never, no, never leave you nor forsake you. And I like, I, when something is said three times in the Bible, it's triangulation. So if you, if you in geometry have three points, then you know exactly where the center is. And so when you and I understand the triangulation of God's promise, he's never going to leave us, what's the center of that? You. You and I, God's never going to leave nor forsake us. Number four, we can never be separated from that which has promised to be true and beautiful for situations. Psalm 48, verse 2. I love that verse. He's beautiful for situations. Or maybe a better translation in today's life. He is beautiful for the details of life. <clears throat> when we get wrapped up in the details of life, our car breaks down for the 20th time. Or, you know, our kids are giving us a hard time. Or this is happening. Or this health problem is flaring up that we thought was gone. Or someone, someone calls you up. Or we are in a situation maybe that's high-pressured situation. Remember this verse, Psalm 48, verse 2, that he is beautiful for situations. Isn't it awesome when you and I are in a crux and we're just under the gun, we're under pressure, and then something amazing happens? You know what we say? We say, that's just beautiful. That's just awesome. Well, that's God. He is always available through his love. And you know, in every situation, the love of God will penetrate that situation and teach us that he is faithful and beautiful in every situation. Number five, Genesis 49. Genesis 49 tells us a story about Joseph who is in a place of authority in Egypt and his brothers show up asking for help. The same brothers that threw him in a pit and sold him to an Egyptian as a slave <clears throat> that lied to their father that, they, that he was killed. And his brothers are standing before him and Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. And you know what? The story of Genesis 49 is one of my favorite stories of the Bible is that love prepares a place for reconciliation. If you're not reconciled, if you have a broken relationship somewhere in your life or something is not working out, maybe you have the theology but not yet the experience, the love of God is going to prepare a place of reconciliation. If we love unconditionally, if we pray, if we put ourselves in people's um, in people's shoes for a little bit. That's a good thing to do. Before you and I have a difficult conversation with someone, put yourself in their shoes. We don't know everything that's happening in their life. And we just say, we just need to say, start the conversation like this. Are you okay? <laughs> it's a great way to start the conversation. Mm -hmm. Are you okay? Because love pre prepares a place for reconciliation, a place where we can be reconciled with God. Number six, love is not a personal condition to perform, but an unconditional attitude which transforms, causing the effects of love to be our expression. Galatians 5, 22, verse 23. Love is not a personal condition to perform. Love is not performing. Okay? Love begins first with an understanding of the attitude of God, that it's first really an attitude an unconditional attitude, and that attitude begins to transform us. For example, 
When you are frustrated with yourself and your own life and your difficulties, and all of us every day fight, you know, we, we are faced with a, a fallen nature that doesn't seem to get any better as the years go on. I mean, some of us that are aging, do you feel that you're a better person than you were 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in some ways, we're not, our, our flesh has not gotten any better, has it? You know, it's interesting about adults. Teenagers, when they rebel, it's just out in the open. Adults are the same way. They're no different. They just learned how to hide things better. We've learned how to hide our rebellion. We've learned how to modify our behavior so that it's not so bad looking. Love is not a personal condition to perform. Just remember, if, you're, if, there is a, if there's a break between what you know is right and what, you, what you're doing, and that, that is not working, if you know Romans chapter 7, what was the, what was the transformation for Paul? Paul said there's no condemnation. Paul understood the unconditional attitude of the love of God towards him. And when he did that, that's when he was set free from self-consciousness and self-awareness and, and the bondage of self. Because as long as we're worried about ourselves and the way things affect us and how I think about it or my, my opinion is, we forget the love of God. When we understand the unconditional attitude of God's love towards us, it's okay. Paul said, you know what? And I love how Romans chapter 7 ends. You know how it ends? It ends like this. I'm a sinner. I'm doing those things that I don't want to be doing. And those things that I want to be doing, I'm just not doing. And what's the, what was the response to that? They, 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 Romans chapter 7 ends with an unresolved conflict in his soul. It's just unresolved. So what does Paul do? Romans chapter 8 verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Because God built the soul. And he understands that when the soul perceives the true love of God, it changes it in some way it's a, a transformation happens that could never ever be possible by our own endeavors do you understand that so it's never a condition to perform number seven we can be separated from the effects of love but never from the cause isn't that a great statement i wish i said that <laughs> i just did we can be separated from the effects of love but never from the cause meaning that i might be out of fellowship with the love of God today because of maybe something that I'm living in my past about something or I'm living in fear or I'm living in unbelief. But you know something? The cause of love has not been changed. The cause of love is still flowing. The cause of love is still there. The cause of love is not going to change. The cross is still there. The cross is still eternally effective in your life. The cross is still paid for your sins. That Jesus Christ was still sent for you and I for our sins. Why we were yet sinners, why we were failing, and why we were enemies of God. The cause is still there. And whenever you don't sense the love of God, don't analyze yourself. Just start thinking about the cause. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Next time you get overwhelmed with somebody's failure or their limitations or their mess-ups, just say, you know what, for God so loved, let's see, let me pick a name that's not in here. Freddie. Anybody know Freddie's in here, right? God so loved Freddie <laughs> that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, if, if Freddie believes that he would have eternal life and not perish, I might not be faithful to love, but love is always faithful and will perform what it wills. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24. I love that. Love's going to perform God's calling in your life. Someone said it this way. I don't remember who said it. And 
theologically it's kind of interesting, but I just like the statement that the will of God for your life is like a door. And God will get you to the other side of that door, even if it seems locked, even if he has to beat you through the keyhole. God's going to get us through into his, by his will. Sometimes, when I was in Bible school, a freshman in Bible school, I was so worried <clears throat> that I wasn't going to fulfill the will of God in my life. It would keep me up at night. I was thinking, what if I don't fulfill God's will for my life? What if I fail the will of God? And, it just, and when it dawned on me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, that faithful is he who began it in your life who will also be faithful to complete it. That is the, that is the faithfulness of the love of God. We can, de- we can delay love, number eight, but I cannot detach love from its course. Psalm 23, verse six. We can delay love. We can kind of delay the love of God from experiencing it, but we're not ever going to be able to de- detach it from its course. Number nine, if I try to cultivate love, love will be quiet and constrain me to be humble. Second Corinthians five, verse 14. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? I want to talk about that just in a second. Number 10, love will always cause me to triumph. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Not my ability to love, but my availability to love. Remember that. It's not your ability to love people. Remember this, okay? It's not your ability to love God. It's not your ability to love yourself. It's not your ability to love other people. It's not your ability to love that crazy person that just cut you off in 276. It's not your ability to love that, 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 that um, cashier at the store that just is giving you a hard time. It's not your ability to love people, but it's your availability to God's love. Amen. If you're not able to love yourself, and there are people that hate themselves. They just hate themselves. And I've met them before, and they enter into such destructive habits because they don't know how to love themselves the way God loves them. And when we are not able to love, instead of entering into hate and self-destructive habits and cutting, there's this, you know, people cut themselves and they pierce and they, they hate themselves so much that they're cutting their skin and watching themselves bleed brings some kind of satisfaction and release of guilt and anger towards themselves. It's just so messed up, isn't it? It's not my ability to love, but my ability, my availability to the love of God. Just say, you know what, God, I can't love that person, but I'm available. Fill me with love. I can't love myself, God, because I did this bad thing, but I'm available. God just, and God says, you know what, all I need is availability. Say, God, I don't know what God's call in my life is. Just say, God, here am I, sends me. And this is what happened with Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a preacher, five, cha- six chapter, five chapters of being a preacher, but he didn't understand the holiness of God, didn't understand the sacredness of his calling. And then he began to understand his weakness, and he said, woe is me, for I've seen the Lord. And then what does God do? He comes and purges his mouth, because Isaiah said, I'm available. Here am I, send me. Number, number 10, and that ends the, the list here, the availability to love allows me to live and express the effects that make me to be all he is. I want to finish with this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. And this is going to be an explanation of verse 9, that whenever we try to constrain love, it waits for us to be quiet and to, 
and to humble ourselves. What does that mean? It means this. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, the, the love of Christ controls, and again I'm reading this in the Amplified, love of Christ controls and urges and impels us. Don't you love the Amplified? Get yourself a copy if you don't have it. It's just awesome. Because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. If Jesus died for all of us, then we are all dead. Verse 15, he died for all so that all those who, might, who, who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. This is the secret of how to be set free from the limitations of self-love and egoism. Do you ever feel like, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't really care about that person's problem. <laughs> you ever, do you ever feel like, you know, I should be kind of concerned or compassionate, but I just really don't care about that situation or because what that person did to me. This here is the secret of how to be released from the limitations of self and from self-love. You know what it is? It's the love of Christ. Focus on the cause. Make yourself available to the love of Christ. And when we do that, what will happen is, is that the love of God, like that water looking for the lowest points, will come in, will fill us with the fullness of God, and what will happen is we'll be set free from self-consciousness, self-awareness, self-opinion. Some of us are going to need five years of this message to be set free in certain areas. Don't, don't get upset if this Sunday you hear the message and Monday you're still struggling with something. Don't get upset. Don't say, you know, I can't go to church anymore because I'm not holy. God's in a process. This word constrains us. And I want to finish with this. This Greek word for constrains us. That when we are filled with the love of Christ, you know what it does? It begins to constrain us. It begins to impel us. It begins to control us. And it begins to urge us. Okay? Don't worry if, like, you know, I don't have a passion to be a missionary. I don't have a... I'm a, you know, I'm a wife of a, of a, of someone that, that feels like they have a call. I don't, I just don't even know how my domestic life's going to work out. That's okay if you're married to someone that's got a call in their life. Don't, you know, don't fret about it. Just make yourself available to the love of Christ. Because what will happen is this: is that when we surrender to that love of Christ, get yourself, get yourself. By the way, get yourself a book by Hudson Taylor, any of his books, and just read about his passion. It's, gonna, it's a story about a man who availed himself to the love of Christ and was compelled to be a missionary. And that means that I can be compelled to go to my neighbor and just share the gospel with him and say, you know what? We've lived next to each other for 15 years. I just want to share something with you. Or listen to them. And then if we listen to people and we make ourselves available, what will happen eventually is that what they say is going to give us an opportunity to share Christ with them. And, you know, when we make ourselves available to the love of Christ... It begins to control, urge, and impel us. What is that word in the Greek? That word in the Greek is soon echo. And what it means is it means to a, a graphic picture of what that means is like when you have a crowd of people that are rioting about one particular issue, it may, it may seem to be mass chaos in that, in, that, in that riot. I don't know if you've ever been in a riot. I've been in a riot. Uh, I've, you know, I was... In living in Eastern Europe and during the time when it was very volatile and I on my way to church one day I'm in the middle of a riot where this where, where the police are beating up university students 
I mean, that was crazy. Krakow, Poland. That was insanity. I'm just walking with the guitar, my Bibles, just thinking, I just need to get to church, you know. And I'm walking through the center of the city. And the entire, the entire student body of a, of a big university in Krakow were demonstrating against, against the government because of something that had happened, uh, supposedly that the government had broken the legs of a, of a professor that was speaking out against the government. That was before the government changed. This entire mass mob of people were, it was insanity, it was chaos, but they were all compressed together for one purpose, and that was just one cause that they felt was an injustice. For the believer, when we have, when everything in our life gets surrendered to the love of Christ, what we own, who we are, uh, what we are, everything that God brings, all the relationships that God brings into our life, when we take all of those things and compress them together under the love of God, we, we begin to discover God's purpose. Whatever God gives us, just say, you know what? This thing that God gave me is for the purpose of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. for the love of Christ, because God loves people. Amen. You know, God gave me this because God loves people and he wants me to bless people with it. Yeah. And when we live like that, then what will happen is, is that everything that we have, like a, like a crowd of people, is compressed together under that one great purpose, and that's the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to finish with that. That when we live like that, Sometimes God blesses people with things, and because they begin to worship that thing, God has to take it away because we forget the eternal purpose of that thing in our life. Amen. Whatever God gives us, let's just say, you know what? This is not mine. This is God's, and I'm going to use this to bless the body. I'm going to bless this to bless. I'm going to use this to bless people because of the love of Christ. And when we do that, we are no longer living unto ourselves. <coughs> Because Christ's love is the only thing that effectively sets us free from self-love and the love of the world. Amen? So I'm just going to finish with that. The love of Christ is something that in Romans chapter 5 is shed abroad in our hearts. It's something the Holy Spirit... Just say, God, you know, when you're by yourself, and I hope you do have times where you're by yourself and you can pray and just listen to God, go for a walk or whatever... And say, God, you know, I need a revelation of your love. I just need a revelation of your love. Just show me. You know, God, the Holy Spirit, if we quiet ourselves after a few minutes, will begin to minister to your heart and begin to shed abroad in your heart the personal love of Christ towards you. And if we don't live in that, then guess what? We never, ever discover our purpose. Mm. And that's just an important point. I know I'm kind of speaking long this morning, but that's so important. Some of us here may live as a Christian but never discover. We're not, we're not living in our purpose. And we're just kind of distracted with a lot of things. But our purpose is to surrender to that love of Christ and say, my life is not my own. And then let us, let, make us available to that love of Christ and then he can love people through us. Amen? Amen. So let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you.